1: Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay.
2: We are the Titans, my friends. Bah, bah, bah. And we'll keep escaping to the end. Ba-na-na-na-na. We are the Titans. We are the Titans. No time for losers, because we are the titans of Theros.
0: (laughs) Wow. We literally walked into the other room like, all right, guys, who's got a song for Uro? Titan, Titan, Titans. Lady Danger goes, we
2: are the titans. And we're like, no, that's that a song. Champions. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: wait. We'll roll with it. it and works. that we did. What's up, everybody? You are watching/slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong.
2: How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. We are here with the second Game Nights Deck Tech. Um, well, I guess we should say, first of all, if you haven't seen the new Game Nights, it's out. It's out. It came there. out about a week ago now. So you should probably go watch it. We'll try not to spoil the episode, but we probably will reference it. So we may give away a few little things. Probably just safest to go watch that episode, then come back to this. You did see my Uro deck if you watched the episode already. I got to say, it performed pretty well. Like, it looked oh, cool. Yeah. Did Rain a lot of stuff.
0: At its thing again.
2: Yeah. So, um, it's going to be a fun one. But before we get into everything, if you want to build an Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath deck, well, you're going to need the card, Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. <laughs> and it comes in Theros Beyond Death, the new set, which is out now. And if you're going to order any of that stuff, whether it's Uro, some of the gods from the set, maybe the demigods, Dalakos like Jimmy played, Mm -hmm. any of the cool stuff, there's a lot of powerful cards, you should use our affiliate link, which is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You know, you're going to buy all this stuff anyway. We're all magic players. We're building decks all the time. We want the new cards to slot into our decks. You're going to do that if you just use the affiliate link, when you do, you really are just simultaneously as free added value thrown in, supporting Game Nights, Command Zone, all of our content. It really does Extra keep... Returns, all yep. the good stuff. It keeps the lights on around here. We really appreciate everybody that does that. You know, there was a comment
0: in the last Game Nights episode where someone said they had bought some singles from Card Kingdom, and they're like, I live in Germany, and I thought they were exaggerating when they said fast shipping, and it got here in a week, even with the slowest shipping option. And that is across the world to another country. So yeah, they also have incredibly fast shipping. Another Another way you can support the show is via Ultra Pro products. Now, Ultra Pro supplies amazing playmats to us every single time we film something like game nights, and they do it for every single brand new set. So, Theros Beyond Death has some of the most fantastic art that we've seen in a while. The constellations on all the gods are so super cool. I don't know if you saw the animation that we made the for Thassa. Uh, Thassa. Yeah, now you can have that on a playmat. You can also buy the sleeves and the deck box and fully outfit your crim based deck. If you sh- decide to do so and ultra Bro product is the way to do that. You can pick that up at cardkingdomcom kingdom.com command zone at your local r- gaming store or a big box retailer.
2: All right. And the final way to support all of our content is directly. If you go to patreoncom slash command zone, our patrons get all kinds of perks. Uh, they can talk to Jimmy and I on discord. They get to see game nights, earlier than the general public so yeah. they're they're in the know before everybody else is uh, it, it really does just again support all of our content and one of the other perks they get is we shout out one lucky patron every single episode and this episode is dedicated to leland, leland. nunez leland you rock you do all right let's get into the euro deck tech um all right, I guess we will just, just we should just read the card again. If you haven't seen the new game nights, probably want to pause this video, go watch it and come back because we'll try not to ruin anything, but we may reference that episode. We definitely will. Okay, so Uro, Titan of Nacer's, Nature's Wrath, is one, a green and a blue, so three mana total for a 6-6 mm-hmm. legendary creature, Elder Giant. This is a mythic rare. It says, when Uro enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. So... The first time you cast it, it will not have escaped. So you're going to sacrifice it the first time you cast it basically every time. It also says when Uro enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life, draw a card, then you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. So it's kind of a growth spiral with, yeah. some, with some life gain tact on there. Has some Chulain aspects to it as well. It's got a lot of value though, that's for sure. And then it has escape, which is a new mechanic from Theros Beyond Death. We've talked about it recently a lot on the show. The escape cost is green, green, blue, blue, and exile five other cards from your graveyard. And then you may cast this card from your graveyard for its escape cost. So if you have five other cards you can exile from your graveyard, you can replay Uro, and you actually are casting the card mm-hmm. from your graveyard onto the battlefield for green, green, blue, blue. Yeah, so it becomes a four mana 6-6 six, six, uh, with five other
0: cards out of your graveyard.
2: I remember that first ability says, if it enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. So if you paid the escape cost, you now get to keep the six six you're not sacrificing it yeah so that's kind of how you get Uro to stick on the board as a six six which is not super important for the deck honestly but it can be a nice side effect to have a six six laying around well being able to recast your commander as well without having to
1: pay
0: the commander tax because if you did recast Uro from your command zone that's five mana and in this case it's four mana from your graveyard and it does stick around so it is a big beater and if you are able to attack with it a bunch then you also get the abilities on it which yeah. is pretty sweet
2: yeah, and that's actually a really important thing about the escape mechanic is that there's no commander tax tied to that. So if it were to die again, go to the graveyard, you're still just playing green, green, blue, blue to get it back out if, as long as you have the cards to exile from your graveyard. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the goals to the deck is to get to the point where you're casting Uro without paying commander tax out of your graveyard and getting that ETB trigger over and over again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the escape
0: mechanic. You wrote down here that it is difficult to evaluate at first glance, and it is true. There are a lot of cards in Theros Beyond Death that do say escape on them, and they have alternate costs. Some of them are way more, some of them are just a little bit more. Uh, what makes it hard to evaluate for you?
2: Well, I think when we all saw this mechanic, just especially for Uro and Kroxa, who were the, sort of the two mm-hmm. legendary creatures that had it, um, I think your natural... In- Inclination is like, I have to sacrifice the creature the first time I play it, and that doesn't sound like a great idea because, right, and then I have to let it sit in the graveyard and jump through some other hoops before I can play it. We're used to these cards only sort of that, like, play out of your graveyard thing working once, like, you have to exile it afterwards, you create a token copy of it, and exile it. But the fact mm-hmm. that because it can escape again, and then escape again, and then escape again is, I think, really the abusable part of the mechanic.
0: Yeah, the card itself, when it escapes, it doesn't... And, like, a lot of times when you recast something from your graveyard, Magic will say, you know, you need to exile this card. If it leaves the battlefield, it would die. Uh, in this case, the escape card just goes back in. The only thing you really need to do is be able to fill up your graveyard again. So it is really repeatable if you have the engine to help it out.
2: Yeah, because it's, it's interesting. I chose last. Like, we let everybody choose their decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, their commanders to build and Uro was still there and I was like it seems pretty I think it'll be good and then I, I grabbed <laughs> yeah. it but I wasn't sure yeah but it's funny that like you know it went through everybody and, and nobody was sure like I think because of the escape mechanics just you look at it and you read it and you're just not sure how that's going to work until you see it in play and if you would watch game nights it's Great. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of ways around it when you have the history of magic cards to
0: use at your disposal um, because the escape mechanic is something that you can respond to or the the first line of text. Whenever something says when that enters the battlefield, if you played Arena or if you played MTGO, a little thing will pop up and like this trigger has happened which gives everyone priority to do something about it. So there are ways to get around this and make it even better (laughs) than it seems.
2: All right, so let's talk about the strategy for the deck that I built and there's basically three points to the strategy so one is find tricky ways around that self-sacrifice trigger Mm -hmm. number two is abuse the escape mechanic itself and number three is generate extra value with the triggered ability so draw a card drop a land gain three life so that's kind of where every card falls it's uh, not every card in the deck obviously but that those were the main points I i thought like these are the three things that i really want this deck to do so let's talk about the first thing, which is escape the escape. Ooh, very clever, I like it. So how do you get around this escape trigger? And there are basically three main ways in the deck to do it, because like Jimmy said, you play Uro from your command zone, and the trigger two triggers actually go on the stack. Mm -hmm. So you basically can say, uh, first thing I'm gonna do is gain three life, draw a card, then put a land from my hand onto the battlefield. You do that, and then it's saying, hey, I have to sacrifice this creature because it did not escape. And you say, okay, well, with that on the stack, I can do stuff now. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you can
0: even do it with the both the abilities on the stack. That's true. Because they're still going to happen. But yeah, the nice thing is that you have a lot of chances to respond here. And one ch- one way that was showcased very heavily on game nights, it's a card that we've talked about quite a bit, um, is Crystal Shard, which is, on its face, one of those cards I think commander players can look at and go, yeah, this is actually really powerful. Um, because the you know it's one of those cards in Magic's history where people originally looking at it might go, oh, you're, this is... This is supposed to be against my opponents, but oftentimes cards are much better used when they're for yourself. So it's a 3-mana artifact. You can pay 3 and tap it, or just a blue mana and tap it, and return target creature to its owner's hand unless its controller pays 1. So, obviously, you can target your own stuff with this and decline to pay 1, and boom. For that, it's a 1-mana tap bounce on an artifact that you can use the turn it comes into play. So, overall, extremely useful card, and sometimes even in a pinch, as we saw again in the Game Nights episode, you can use it against your opponents if they are tapped out.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like a threat they have to think about. Do they leave mana untapped? You know, if you've got a six-mana creature that you paid mana to get out there, you don't really want them to just bounce it for one mana. For one mana, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it plays both sides pretty well. There's two more cards that also can bounce uh a row back to your hand. This basically means you bounce it back to your hand, you just get the card draw, three life, put a land into play. For three or four mana essentially with a Crystal Shard, right? Yeah. Um saber Sabretooth is another one and erratic portal. They both basically do the same thing. Uh Team or Sabretooth says you may return another creature you control to its owner's hands for one in a green. If you do, Team or Sabertooth gains indestructible until end of turn. Uh Amazing card, unrepeatable too. So you could conceivably, if you had a ton of mana, play or bounce it, play or bounce it, play or bounce it, right? And every time you're doing that, drawing card, gaining life, putting lands into play, which is feeding it even more. One of the goals of the deck, and you'll notice if you looked at the deck list, has like forty, forty-one lands, is just to lean into the land thing a lot and to really, you know, one of the things we talk about on the show all the time is how one of the best indicators of whether you're going to win a game of Commander is do you have more lands in play than the opponents? Right. And it's really, really good to be able to activate Teamer Sabertooth and play Earl more than once in a single turn because
0: there's just so much value. And not to mention, you know, like, you know, you'll know, you get off to a huge advantage, but you also are gaining three life every single time you do this. So you're giving yourself a buffer. So Uro has this ability to really just stick around the battlefield. And again, Teamer Sabertooth, you can use it infinitely times because you're never tapping it, which is kind of scary now that I think about it. Crystal Shard, you do have to tap.
2: Okay, so the other thing I said here was that, so you play Uro, the triggers go on the stack, and responding to the escape is like, you don't just have to bounce Uro to take advantage of it. You've got a 6-6 on the battlefield just for that second. It's mm-hmm. about to, You're about to sacrifice it. But again, as we saw in Game Nights, you can respond to that trigger and do some other things, uh, not just bouncing it. So the first one that we did see on the, on the episode, uh, even though it wasn't my Silvalla in the deck, it was, <laughs> it, it was a copied uh, from Ashlyn's deck. But Silvalla, Heart of the Wilds, works really good here. One green-green for a 2-3. It's a legendary creature. It says, whenever another creature enters the battlefield, its controller may draw a card if its power is greater than each other creature's power. Really great with Uro because it is a 6 6 that you're casting and is entering the battlefield. Now you have to sacrifice it, but you still get to draw that extra card. And because it's so cheap, because you're going to sacrifice it, mm-hmm. it's almost always the biggest thing on the board at that point. So now you're adding draw a card to its already draw a card trigger. But even better, sovala says, pay a green and tap her. And you add X mana in any combination of colors to your mana pool, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So, Oof. yeah, all of a sudden, and, and we again, we saw this on game nights. If you have Sovala out and you play Uro, you can actually hit that land drop with the Uro trigger. Use that, that land. Yeah, because the land from Uro doesn't come into play tapped. And so that can be your green source that that you then tap for Selvala, to add six mana of any color to your mana pool. And now all of a sudden, that escape doesn't look so bad, right? Yeah. Drew you two cards, gained you three life, put a land into play, and then you got six more mana.
0: You could even recast Uro if you decide to put him in the command zone if it is the first time you're playing him. So the math works out really, really well there. Um, And Sylvala obviously is a a competitive EDH deck for good reason. The ability to just add that much mana is very important. And when you're doing so, again, Uro is sticking around just for a hot second. Uh, It's really important, by the way, when you're reading cards to see if they say the words when you cast this card or when it enters the battlefield, because the enter the battlefield part is much more significant uh, for cards like Savala. Another card that's actually a new card from Theros Beyond Death is the Elysian Caryatid. It's 1 in the green for a 1-1 plant, and you can tap it to add 1 mana of any color. However, if you control a creature with power 4 or greater, add 2 mana of any 1 color instead. So, again, Earl hits the battlefield, triggers, hit the stack. You can tap the Elysian carry at it. It sees a 6-6 on the battlefield, so this is going to add you 2 mana. Just good value. It's a great way to make use of a lot of 2 mana sort of mana dorks. In this case, this one comes with a lot of upside and will get you a bunch of mana thanks to Earl being such a big guy.
2: I love the play pattern with the carry added because you played on two on three you play Uro and tap the carry added and you pl- hit that extra land drop and you got three more mana so you right. just played Uro for free that turn gained the life drew the card that's just a really great like those just line up really well because it's a two drop into a three drop yeah uh, and the last one probably the all star of the entire game night's episode <laughs> uh, we've been talking this, about this card for a long time so it was nice to finally show off what it could do and, yeah I'm glad. and we both did uh Mirage Mirror, three mana for an artifact, but it says pay two, Mirage Mirror becomes a copy of target artifact, creature enchantment, or land until end of turn. So obviously, Mirage Mirror is just an amazing card, and if you're not playing it in a decent percentage of your decks, you probably should be. There's a lot of decks that'll be improved by having a Mirage Mirror in them. Especially if you're mono red or mono white... (laughs) <laughs> or a combination of those two colors. I mean, we showed some cool things you can do with stacking the triggers, turning it into multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the episode, able to copy crystal shard, have two shards sometimes. This, we're in a meta now. There's going to be a lot of gods running around. You want to copy an enchantment, y- get your own xenagos or whatever. This can mm-hmm. do that. But specifically with the the Titans, with Uro, and this will work for Croxa too... Because I think a, a part of the card that kind of gets forgotten is it says whenever Uro enters the battlefield or attacks, mm. gain three life, draw a card, then put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. So what you can do with Mirage Mirror is cast Uro, triggers on the stack, before you sack it, turn the Mirage Mirror into an Uro. Now, legendary rule, kick in, you sacrifice the actual Uro because you were going to do that anyway. Yep. And now your Mirage Mirror is sitting there. It's already been out on the battlefield and it can attack and now you get that trigger. And that's just a way to get another card draw off, gain three life, put another land into play. Yeah, and Mirage
0: Mirror can even copy the land that Uro puts down, right? Like there are so many different ways that you can activate Mirage Mirror because every single time Uro has a trigger, you're able to respond to it before uh, it actually goes off. So there is a lot of play patterns here, but yeah, because it's an artifact, you can play it early. With any mana, you cast Uro, you're going to have another Uro that doesn't have something Sickness, and boom, you're going to get double triggers off it. And that is enough in the early game, because Uro is a like a three-mana commander, that you're really off to the races, probably before other decks really have a chance to set up.
2: Yeah, you, you do this right. I mean, you're often sitting there with like eight lands in play when everybody else has four. Yeah. Just because of the way this snowballs, because... The extra lands allow you to do the same thing again next turn because, hey, you need two extra to play Uro. Well, when Mirage Mirror, one Elysian Carry added, that gave you the extra mana to do that again next turn, and then you drop more lands into play, and all of a sudden you do that again next turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it can snowball. That's why, again, a lot of lands in the deck is important because you always want to be dropping that extra land with Uro. Missing it really sucks. All right, let's talk about the next category, which is planning the escape. This is like a heist movie now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... A big thing about escape is you do need those five other cards in your graveyard in addition to being able to pay the mana. The mana cost is low. It's four mana for a 6-6 with a sweet ability. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you know, the hurdle they set in place was like, hey, but you have to exile five cards from your graveyard also. That's not a low cost, by the way.
0: Five cards out of your graveyard will add up. I mean, doing that three times, that's 15 cards. That's, you know, a fifth of your deck. It's going to be hard to actually keep your graveyard filled that often.
2: Yeah, so you really need cards that that's what they're doing they're there to mill yourself and another card that made a big showing in game nights yes and one of our favorites is altar of dementia
0: a two-mana artifact you can sacrifice a creature and target player puts a number of cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power from the top of their library into their graveyard so again because earl is hitting the battlefield it's not an on cast trigger he will be seen by a card like altar of dementia and it's going to be sacrificed anyway if it didn't escape so you can then point this at the altar, drop it on, boom, six cards off the top of your library into your graveyard, and that is more than enough to recast him with his escape trigger.
2: Yeah, now Uro is kind of self-contained. It's milling the cards you need to play it out of your graveyard. So then even if you escape it back out, you can even sack it again, escape it back out, sack it again, escape it back out, as long as you've got the four mana, because you Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about the cards in your graveyard anymore. So that was one of the main plans of the deck was you know, I wanted to conservatively cast Uro maybe like seven, eight times in a game, because think of the amount of advantage that is. Seven, eight more cards, 24 more life, seven, eight more lands in the battlefield. Um, so Alter of Dementia, I think as if you watch Game Night, nice, you saw one of the best cards in the deck. Yep. Uh, another one that got played in the episode, but didn't maybe shine as much is sort of a, a poor man's version of Alter. Like, you want redundancy in your deck. Alter's the best one, but If you can't find that, this will work. It's Hedron Crab. It's one blue for an O2. It has Landfall, though. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top three cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So, obviously, once per turn, you're going to play a land. Hopefully, that's going to mill yourself for three. But Uro also, with the trigger, puts a land into play. So now, all of a sudden, you can get six cards per turn into your graveyard from your library. So, that is another way to fuel that escape. And Hedron Crab comes out early. People will not want
0: to use removal on it. No, Ever. Um, (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Next up, Greater Good. This is typically seen as one of the most powerful enchantments and a lot of combo decks are based off it, but this works extremely well with Uro. It's two wood green and a green for an enchantment. You can sacrifice a creature to draw cards equal to the sacrificed creature's power, then choose and discard three cards. So... Obviously, you're going to want to sacrifice a creature with more than 3 power. How about 6? So draw 6, discard 3 for basically free once this enchantment is out is why this card is just so good in a lot of different combo-based decks. It's going to get all the cards you need into the graveyard and also going to draw you into more answers, more lands, into more whatever you need to do to keep Uro going.
2: And one of the great things about this deck is like, you don't mind if you're above seven cards and have to discard because you're fueling the escape mechanic. So yeah, a lot of times you're going to play Uro, discard to greater good early in the game, have nine cards at the end of the turn, discard two cards, and now have five cards in there. Ooh. And that's, that's exactly where you want to be. So yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Again, casting Uro without commander tax, quote unquote, because of the escape is a big plan for the deck. All right. All right. Lots more to talk about. But first, let's hear a quick
0: message from our sponsors.
2: And we're back. Let's continue the discussion. Now let's move to the final point, which is abusing the trigger. Oh, I thought it was going to be abuse the escape. <laughs> so the trigger we're talking about here is that uh, battlefield or attack from Uro, ETB or attack, gain three life, draw a card, and then put a land onto the battlefield. So there's a bunch of ways in the deck. This is where the deck kind of gets a little bit of the pieces from what we would normally consider like a landfall deck, mm-hmm. things like that. So You're basically saying, hey, I'm going to put a lot of extra lands out because of the ability. How do I take advantage of that? And also, I'm going to be casting Uro over and over again. How do I take advantage of that?
0: Yeah, you want to kind of just get spiraling out of control as soon as possible. And Lotus Cobra is a great way to do that. Uh, One in the green for a creature, Snake with Landfall. It's a 2-1. And it just says whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So again, this works great with things like fetch lands or evolving wilds because you use, you crack that land. And when that new land comes into play, even if it's tapped, you're going to get an extra mana off it. But in Uro's case, you're going to get up to two mana, maybe even more, uh, because those lands don't come into play tapped.
2: Yeah lotus cobra can just spiral out of control so fast yes you can put out four or five extra lands per turn and that's just so much mana
0: it reminds me of hedron crab where you know you read landfall and you go oh we're only playing one land a turn how bad could it get well thanks to commander giving you access to so many cards it can get pretty bad pretty fast
2: All right, the next one is Kiora, Behemoth Beckoner. This is the Kiora from War of the Spark. Two and a hybrid, either green or blue. For a seven loyalty Planeswalker. Has a static ability. Whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Hey. And then has a negative one ability, which is... It's, it's useful. It's very good. It's negative one is untap target permanent. Like a crystal shard. Yeah. Or just a land. Yeah. So it's ramp and card draw and with Uro works very good because Kira's kind of balanced around the fact that four or more power creatures cost a certain amount of mana not Uro.
0: Yeah. Also, Kira coming in with seven loyalty means that's hard to remove even through combat by your opponents. Yep. And you're going to be drawing even more cards. So anytime you can double up anything that is doing you are in a great, great spot. Um, another way to do so and one again that was showcased on the episode, a card that I think just belongs in pretty much every green deck I am putting it in like yeah, basically every deck I'm like, this doesn't have this, I need it. It it should read Commander Project, but it's actually called Guardian Project. Three and a green for an enchantment whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control. If it doesn't have the same name as another creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, draw a card. Well, that plays very well with this format uh, and limited, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because every single card you play unless it is a persistent partitioners
2: Yeah. or uh, a <laughs> uh, <Shadowborn>
0: Apostles. <laughs> Apostles will be drawing you cards off the Guardian Project. With
2: no other extra mana needed or anything, yeah. this is such a huge card draw engine because it's often drawing you 2, 3, you know, plus cards later in the game per turn. We'll just stack the Words draw card onto every creature you have in the
0: deck. It seems pretty good for four mana.
2: And again, there are turns with this deck where you will cast Uro three, four, t- five times in the same turn. And each time, Uro is triggering Guardian Project. Oof. Uh, Tireless Tracker is another one. It's two and a green for a 3-2. But whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate, which means you create a 2-2 two, two clue artifact token, which you can pay to, sack that artifact, and draw a card. Tireless Tracker also gets plus one, plus one counter every time you sacrifice a clue. This is just another way to sort of save up card draw off of uro because of the landfall triggers. Yeah, we love
0: our landfall triggers in this deck. All right, next up, Tatiova, Benthic Druid. Same idea, three green and a blue for a 3-3. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and you draw a card. So I think the life gain is actually not to be messed with. Yeah. Um, you really can gain a lot of life off of this kind of deck, and when every player realizes how much value you're getting, they're going to point their creatures at you. But when it's turn three or four,
2: they're not going to really have significant threats to put against you. So you're going to gain, what, like nine life, lose five? Seems pretty good to me. Another way to gain life and draw cards is Alhamaret's Archive, five mana artifact. If you would gain life, you gain twice that much life instead. And if you would draw a card, except the first one you draw in each of your draw steps, draw two cards instead. So it just doubles up Uro's ability, except you don't get to drop two lands in play. That
0: thing really juices up the deck, huh? Yeah, it's
2: a very... And again, this is a deck that will have a lot of mana available to it because most of the game plan is putting extra lands into play.
0: Yeah, and once that happens, it's not like you don't have the card draw to deal with it as well. You have a lot of cards in your hand and a lot of options to go for from there, which is great.
2: So you've abused the trigger, and now we're going to build a board and try and win the game in some way. And there's a bunch of ways also with Landfall to do that. Yep. Uh, Landfall just happens to be the most important
0: keyword of this deck tech. And the Rampaging bayloths. again, watch the episode. Pretty awesome what happens here. To 6-mana, 6-6 with Trample. And Landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may create a 4-4 green beast creature token. Boom. You can use these creatures, by the way, to sacrifice to Greater Good. Yep. You can sacrifice them to Altar of Dementia. You can also just beat face with them, and when you're, you know, putting two, three, maybe even four of them into the battlefield every single turn, that adds up fast. That will kill players out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, Altar of Dementia definitely an alternate win con in the deck because you can get enough tokens to mill people out. Yeah, a couple more ways to do that that both create two twos is Zendikar's Royal. And Field of the Dead, Zendikur's Royal is an enchantment. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you make a 2-2 uh, elemental creature token. Field of the Dead is a land that enters the battlefield tapped and taps for colorless mana, but whenever Field of the Dead or another land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands with different names, you create a 2-2 black zombie. So every these are basically similar cards, uh, Field of the Dead, has a little extra text, but it's not hard to get there. Mm-hmm. So every time you play a land, you're making two twos, basically. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of Field of the Dead. Yeah. I think
0: this might be one of the most powerful lands to have entered the format
2: in a very long time. Again, many, many decks probably just put it in, because even if you're not doing landfall shenanigans, just a card that says... "For This doesn't cost mana to cast. It's basically like what I just compared to Zendikar's Royal. That's a three green green for an enchantment. Yeah. But Feel of the Dead is just a land drop and it creates a two, two every time you play a land after a certain point in the game.
0: Yeah, it's very, very good. And the, every, anytime you see a card get, get get banned out of like Standard uh, or Pioneer or other formats, pay attention to it. Yeah. There's a reason it got banned. It's probably good. Yeah. Uh. Last but not least is a card that again saw some nice play on the show. It's Royal Elemental. It's a pretty expensive card, but the ability is nuts. Three blue, blue, blue for a three, two flying elemental. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain control of target creature for as long as you control Royal Elemental. Normally, this is steal one card a turn. How about three? How about four? How about so much that everyone is forced to deal with this and everyone has to use spells on Royal Elemental. Everyone has to deal with the creatures coming in because of Royal Elemental basically what fuels all of this
2: and a lot of synergy with greater goods and the altar of dementia even crystal shard worst case scenario right they're about to kill your royal elemental well i'll bounce it back to your hand or bounce my own royal Elemental back right so there's just a lot of cool synergy there um okay so that's sort of the main part of the deck the main chunk of what it's trying to do and then i wanted to talk about what i was calling side synergy here so in general we talk to people about having their decks be very focused and we don't like to go too many steps removed from what that plan is. But I do like to put on some stuff that's like, this stuff works with what that the main plan is already doing. Mm-hmm. And because the main plan of this deck involves so much self-bounce, bouncing of your own stuff back to your hand, I did include a few cards that basically want to be bounced back to your hand. So that if the Uro plan's not going or, or you need some sort of toolboxy things... Reusable removal type spells, or whatever you have access to that kind of thing. So, uh, Torrential Gear Hulk is one that's all out of play, uh, in game nights. It's four blue, blue for a five, six with flash. But when it enters the battlefield, you may cast target instant card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost, and then you exile the instant after uh, you cast it again because of Crystal Shard, Team or Saber Tooth, Erratic Portal. And this is just a good card, right? Mm-hmm. Like torrential gear just a good card. And and all these cards are just good cards. Where is if even if you don't have the self bounce, you're not embarrassed. They're gonna do what they're supposed to do. But if you do have the self bounce, now you're in threatening to like bounce it back to your hand, replay it, bounce it back to your hand, replay it. The deck will have a ton of mana out, and finding ways to use that mana is one of the things you're trying to do. And just the fact that hey, I play tor- two torrential gear in a turn is very doable. Makes it really good. Yeah, and Snapcaster Mage is sort of the,
0: the yeah. more, I guess, efficient version of Tarantial Gear Gearhulk, but it's you know very hard to get these days. So Tarantial Gear Gearhulk does a great imitation of that um, and just a very powerful card. that lets you cast the spell for free. Yep. That's pretty sweet. Um, another card that actually has a very similar ability on it to a, the uh, sort of escape it unless it's sacrificed is Drifter. It's four and a blue for a 2-2 with flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you draw two cards. However, you can also pay just two in a blue to evoke it. And you may cast this spell for its evoke cost. If you do, it's sacrificed when it enters the battlefield. So that, again, is a trigger that's going to happen when the Drifter hits the battlefield, which means that you can respond to it in the same way with the Erratic Portal Team or Sabertooths and all that of the world to get this ability over and over and over again.
2: Yep. The other two this are Reclamation one. Sage and Venser Shaper Savant. Rex Sage destroys an artifact or enchantment on its ETB, and Venser on its ETB, target spell or permanent. So you bounce counter a spell... Or you bounce a thing. Uh, Including lands. And is great to bounce back to your hand because then you just hold it again. You don't, you know, and Mm -hmm. they all know you have it and they're like, crap, every time I cast a spell now, he might bounce it.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting because it's not a counterspell, uh, but it can disrupt as much, if not more, than a counterspell can because it is repeatable in this type of deck. And the nice thing about being in green and blue, you just have access to great value cards overall.
2: Um, Yeah, these are just good cards, so you don't have to have the synergy going for them to be good, right?
0: Yeah, you can literally play the cards that we just talked about in any deck that plays green or blue and not feel bad about it. Because they'll do something, they have a lot of text on them, and they're generally good value. And then yeah, they get broken when you start playing them over and over again. Yeah. Um and the final sort of side synergy card here that is I think a card that actually should see more play. It's Worldbreaker, six and a green for a five-seven Eldrazi, and it's got Devoid, so this card has no color, but doesn't really matter here. When you cast Worldbreaker, exile target artifact, enchantment, or land. It also has reach, and then you can pay two any colorless mana to sacrifice a land, return Worldbreaker from your graveyard to your hand. So, this kind of has everything on it, text wise. You can mill it to your graveyard, and then you have lands like uh, Field of the Dead to be able to tap for that colorless mana to return it to your hand. You don't really care to sacrifice lands because you're playing so many of them. And more importantly, this is a cast trigger. Uh, It's going to happen when you cast it, and it's going to exile stuff, which is really, really important, including lands.
2: Yeah. Worldbreaker, good for a lot of reasons, and I wanted to, as our last point here, talk about the fact that, you know, I'm sort of a big believer in trying to anticipate what's going to happen as new sets come out. So, when War of the Spark came out, we told you all, hey... Planeswalkers are going to be popular for a little while here. Here's a bunch of cards you might think about playing, maybe not forever in Commander, but at least for the next six months or so, because what is everybody going to do? They're going to put a bunch of Planeswalkers in their deck because they have them now, and we saw that that was true. So now we're in Theros, and what does Theros have? gods, enchantments that are just difficult to kill. Indestructible. Yeah, you want exile, you want to be able to exile an enchantment because people are onto it. They're not letting the devotion get to the point where they're creatures and so your Swords to Plowshares might not be able to kill it. Mm-hmm. And so Worldbreaker is a really good card in this deck and a lot of decks right now specifically because we're moving into this Theros meta for at least a little while here. And so I also put a couple more cards in the deck just nodding to that. Not Silver Bullet cards that are like, hey, because in-game night's The way that it works is we know what uh, commanders everybody else chose and what they're building. And so I don't want to put like hose all artifact cards in the deck because I know Jimmy's playing an artifact deck or a, uh, you know, something that hoses all graveyards just because I know there's a graveyard deck. But I I do want to be able to handle like an indestructible enchantment on a one for one basis. That seems fair. Yeah. So if you look at the deck list, you'll see that everyone has at least one
0: way to get rid of that indestructible god type thing.
2: Right, so Worldbreaker fits that role. And there's a couple more cards that I kind of nodded in that direction. Uh, one is Copy Enchantment, which is just a good card again. It's two and a blue for an enchantment. As it comes into play, what do you think it would do? It copies an enchantment. <laughs> uh, and so this is a way to get one of the gods yourself and use it for a lot cheaper probably than they paid for it
0: yeah Mirrormaid is another uh, card that recently came out that does the same thing so i think wizards is kind of onto it as well uh, mirage
2: mirror can play this role too
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, fade into antiquity two in a green it's a sorcery and it just says exile target artifact or enchantment um, and this is when it, you need to do more than just destroy something. Yep. Exiling stuff is one of the only ways to get rid of the gods in this set. Uh, exiling is one of the only ways to get rid of the other gods that have popped up in like Amonkent and stuff. So the word exile is much, much better than destroy. So just be wary of that. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to be cracking pre-release packs. They're going to be cracking draft packs. They're going to be playing standard. They're going to have access to some of these new cards. And like we've shown on our set reviews, they are pretty powerful. Yeah. And if you can't get rid of something like a Perforos, the new one, if it hits the battlefield in you a couple in of trouble. turns, Yeah, you might be in big trouble. There might be a Blightsteel Colossus headed your way real soon. Another card that you need to have an exile effect for, by the way.
2: Uh, and another card I wanted to mention, I didn't put it in my deck, but somebody on our Discord was like, hey, you maybe should have thought about this instead of... Um, fade into antiquity which is de-glamour Right. and it actually tucks it's it's an instant for one in a green and it tucks uh rather than oh. exiles which will work against the gods and stuff so that's a might even be think about. better yeah. than than uh, if it's the commander because there are back things the where i'd zone. rather exile it just be like you can't tutor for it or find it again mm-hmm. but yeah i can see the the argument for like hey but it gets rid of it right now at instant speed for cheaper so something to consider um and then the one more category stuff to add to the deck and spoiler alert big spoiler alert! big spoiler alert if you have not watched the new episode of game nights just Stop the video right now. We already did the deck tech. You can come back for the end step if you want to. But go watch Game Nights because we're going to spoil the ending here. Um, you, you turn it off, right? Okay. I hate spoiling things. If you haven't watched the last Game Nights... Bruce Willis is not dead <laughs> the way he is. Dang it. I messed it up. Shoot. Um, not the actor, the character. All right, all right, all right, all right. So some things like now that have played the deck a little bit and... Obviously, like, first drafts of a deck always need a little bit of tweaking. Something that, you know, maybe we would add to this deck is, I think, obviously something to prevent mill getting milled out, mm-hmm. since you are going to self-mill so much. I think I'd be in favor of, like, a Kozilek, something of that. You'll be able to cast it, maybe, and... Yeah, you're going to have enough mana. Yeah, the old-school Kozilek or Ulamog that when they hit the graveyard, you shuffle your graveyard and it into your library Mm -hmm. so you can basically never be milled. I think that would be, it's one slot in the deck and would totally be worth it because you are going to be in danger of milling yourself out.
0: Yeah, especially if you get going too fast and let's say you just draw all your value engines but not enough of the -the end-the-game cards, then you're going to find yourself getting lower and lower and lower and that is not where you want to be.
2: Yeah. Um, It probably has a little bit too much card draw so we mentioned Tatiova, Almond's Archive, Tyler's Tracker. There's probably a little bit too much of that, and I probably would swap two or three of those out for more cards that actually do stuff. Or close the game out. Yeah. yeah. Um, you could probably, I think, obviously add Lab Maniac, Jace, Wield of Mysteries, Thassa's Oracle. Not really my thing, so I wouldn't add those cards because I don't, I don't like winning that way, but undoubtedly this is the type of, the, of deck that would make good use of them because, again, your ability to mill yourself out is going to be pretty high. You're also in Protean Hulk colors, right? Right, right. Yep. Yep. You could do that too. Flash flash them out. Yeah. Let's get it done. Then everybody really wouldn't like you. Yeah. No kidding. But you'll win the game very quickly. (laughs) So congrats, you know? And one thing I wanted to say before we move on to the next section is I actually built this deck purposefully with no tutors in it. Oh, right. There is land fetching, but there's nothing that go gets any other card type. Well, you are drawing a lot anyway in this deck. So it, it almost, I mean, it is overkill, right? Yeah, and it's one—it's something I like to do with my decks from time to time. Not all my decks, obviously. I yeah. do this. Just kind of to try and keep the power level and check. Keep it in the 7 to 8 range because this is the type of deck that, you know, you can put Food Chain and all mm-hmm. the other cards we mentioned and really go crazy with it. And, uh, you know, that's just not the way we like to play. Well, you get to vary up your play experience a little bit. Who knows what you're going to draw this time every single time you play Euro. Yeah, you know, exactly. 80 times. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's the deck. Love to hear what you think about it. In fact, to the listeners, what do you think about the Euro deck? Would you opt to build it in a different fashion or are there some cards that you think are must includes that, um, you know, I didn't have on my list?
0: You know, this actually reminds me of Derevi a little bit yeah, because it's a card that you can always cast for a certain amount of mana and it has an effect that you can kind of build around. This is, I think, a bit stronger um, unless
2: you want to go the full stacks route. But Yeah, I think Derevi stacks is very strong, but if you don't play into that, this lands in, extra lands in play is just very, very powerful. Yeah, that's something that uh, is definitely green superpower. Well, if you want to get a hold of Uro or any of the cards that we talked about today, just go on over to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's where you're going to be able to order all the Theros Beyond stuff. You can pick up any of the gods, any of the titans, you can pick up all kinds of sealed product, bundles, whatever it is that you want, Card Kingdom has it, and they're going to get it to you super fast. And don't forget, Ultra Pro, another great sponsor of the show, every single time a new set
0: comes out, Theros Beyond Death, they've got tons of stuff to go along with it. Not to mention, you know, the art has just been getting better and better and better as magic grows and grows, and I love the saga art, I love all of the cool little things that we've seen, and Ultra Pro definitely knows about it as well, and they're going to be including them on their products from their play mats, their sleeves, their deck boxes, as well as the alternate arts that are now come along with each set so again i i love having this playmat in front of me every single time we podcast it makes me feel great it's perforos that is the most you oh it's it's amazing that's the most you playmat i can think that's about, how you so. want to feel you yeah. want to feel like you're in the stars <laughs> you're just that powerful even though you're playing mono red uh, so make sure you check out ultra Bowl Pro. you can pick it up at cardkingdom.com command zone or at your LGS.
2: Yeah, and Uro at the moment is not cheap, so you definitely want to protect it with some good sleeves. Yes. Uh, Ultra Bowl Well, actually, it's only three
0: mana. What are you talking about? It's very cheap.
2: <laughs> the pre order price is like $30. Oh something. my God. I would wait for it to come down because that's predicated on it being good in standard. Yeah. Which who knows? I mean, it's a good card, but I don't, you know, lots of good cards have done nothing in standard. What, one of my favorite <laughs> yeah.
0: things to do, though, is figure out which card that people haven't got their eye on in standard and pick it up oh. before it goes up. Oh. It's a fun game. Okay. Uh,
2: All right, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Have you seen this one? Heck yes, I've seen this. So Might be my favorite movie of last year. It's a really good movie. So we're in award season right now. They just announced the Oscar nominations. SAG Awards just happened. So did the Golden Globes. So this movie is nominated in Best Foreign Film and also nominated as Best Picture, which means it's almost guaranteed to win Best Foreign Film. That's generally how that goes down. It's called Parasite. It's a Korean movie. It is, how would you describe it?
0: It is a movie of...
2: Jeez. It's hard, right? It,
0: there. <laughs> it's a movie. Of, it's an incredibly tense and well-directed movie. The guy that directed it also directed The Host yep. and Snowpiercer. Uh, he's a really well-known, famous Korean director. I'd say it's a movie about two families at very different ends of the financial spectrum and how they are parasitic to each other in nature.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people think this is going to be, like, a horror movie or something because nah. of the name, and there's... It's not. There's some suspense, and... you it's know a thriller, if anything. Yes, exactly. It's definitely not a horror movie. It's super well done. The characterization is great. is amazing. Acting's it's, amazing. It's also funny
0: and yep. weird and dark and, and all sorts of things.
2: Yeah, so... It It is in Korean, so you got to read the subtitles, but what was the director said, I think, on the Golden Globes, if you can get past that one-inch barrier, then yeah. <laughs> your life will be opened up to a lot of great foreign movies, yeah. uh, and this is definitely, definitely worth checking out. I, I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Yeah, it's one of those movies that had me, no kidding, on the edge of my seat the whole yeah. time, and uh, I saw it. I want to see it more than once. So I'm hoping that a theater is going to show it again because of the Academy nominations.
2: You know a movie's good when they're doing this sort of setup character stuff. And you're interested when it's like, right, right. you're like, oh, the dialogue's just good. It's just snappy. Like, you know, I'm interested. And really, they haven't even kicked into what the plot of the movie is yet. Yeah, it's
0: weird, too, because you find yourself rooting for all sorts of different characters throughout and the movie. And stuff that
2: you're like, oh, I don't know if it's if I'm a good person for rooting for Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I
0: mean, it's kind of like when you watch Game of Thrones and you're yeah. like, I like Little Finger. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This kind of, ha- Parasite has this, some of those moments where you're just like, oh, I feel a little gross for doing this, but this is great. It's really drawing me in. Yeah, so it's called Parasite. Definitely highly recommend. All right, big thanks to our editing, graphics, and logistics team here at the Command Zone. House, we have Lady Danger, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Alfred the Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Sam Waldo, and, of course, newcomer Manson Lung, who is probably editing this episode. Thanks, Manson. Thanks, Manson.
2: Yeah, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the window animations behind us, including all the animations that start and end each episode of this show. Jeffrey Palmer, you can find him uh, on Twitter, at LivingCardsMTG, he's actually uh, been posting some videos oh, of right. the window animations that he's done, like full-on view of those without Jimmy and I in the shot, which kind of looks like this.
0: <laughs> well, my, yeah, yeah, it definitely uh, looks just not like Not exactly that. like
2: that, but, yeah. you know, similar. Well, that was bobbling in and out of the shot. <laughs> all right. If you want to see all his work, definitely at LivingCardsMTG on Twitter. Yep, it's a good place to look for it.
0: All right, thanks so much for watching, everybody. We shall see you next time.
2: Peace.
1: your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator.
2: Greetings, humans. <laughs>